Hello, Rachel here with a brief, I guess a public service announcement and errata to explain something about the episode that you are about to hear. And if you listen to all of these episodes where we discuss the play scene by scene, you're going to hear this message multiple times. And I apologize for that to. This important information is that there is a method that my co-hosts and I discuss called Original Practice Shakespeare that we have since learned was not original practice to Shakespeare at all. There is zero evidence to suggest that Shakespeare's actors did not rehearse their plays. There is zero evidence to suggest that they always faced the audience at all times. In fact, we know that to be patently false. So I go into this in more depth in the episode of the podcast under that title about what is original practice and Shakespeare and early modern rehearsal and play production methods. No faith, I'll not stay a jot longer. Uh, thy reason, dear Venom, give thy reason. You must needs yield your reason, Sir Andrew. Mary, I saw your niece do more favors to the Count's serving man than ever she bestowed upon me. I saw it in the orchard. Did she see thee the while? Oh boy, tell me that. As plain as I see you now. This was a great argument of love in her towards you. Slight will make you an ass of me. I will prove it legitimate, sir, upon the oaths of judgment and reason. And I have been grand juryman since before Noah was a sailor. <laughs> She did show favor to the youth in your sight only, to exasperate you, to awaken your dormouse valor, to put a fire in your heart and brimstone in your liver. You should have then accosted her, and with some excellent jests, fire new from the mint, you should have banged the youth into dumbness. This was look for at your hand, and this was Paul. The double guilt of this opportunity, you let time wash off. And you are now sailed into the north of my lady's opinion, where you will hang like an icicle on a Dutchman's beard, unless you do redeem it by some laudable attempt either at valor or policy. And it's by any way, it must be with valor. For policy, I hate. I had as leaf be a brownist as a politician. Why then, build me thy fortunes upon the basis of valor. Challenge me the Count's youth to fight. With him, hurt him in eleven places. My niece shall... Take note of it and assure thyself there is no love broker in the world can more prevail in men's commendation with woman than report of valor. There is no way but this, Sir Andrew. Will either of you bear me a challenge to him? Go, write it in a martial hand. Be cursed and brief. It is no matter how witty, uh, so it be eloquent and fun. Of invention, taunt him with the license of ink. If thou'st him some thrice, it shall not be amiss. As many lies as will lie in thy sheet of paper, although the sheet were big enough for the, the better of where in England. Set him down. Go about it. Let there be gall enough in thy ink, though thou write with a goose pen no matter about it. Where shall I find you? We'll call thee at the cubiculo. Go. This is a dear mannequin to you, Sir Toby. I have been dear to him, lad, some two thousand strong or so. We shall have a rare letter from him, but you'll not deliver it? Never trust me, then. And by all means, stir on the youth to an answer. I think oxen and wain ropes cannot hail them together, for uh, 
Andrew, if he were opened, you find so much blood in his liver as will clog the foot of a flea. I'll eat the rest of the anatomy. And his opposite, the youth, bears in his visage no great presage of cruelty. <laughs> Look, where the youngest wren of nine comes. If you desire the spleen and will laugh yourself into stitches, follow me. Yond Gaul Malvolio is turned heathen, a very renegado. <laughs> For there is no Christian that means to be saved by believing rightly can ever believe such impossible passages of grossness. He's in yellow stockings. And cross-garter? Most villainously. Like a pedant that keeps a school in the church. I have dogged him like his murderer. He does obey every point of the letter that I dropped to betray him. He does smile his face into more lines than is in the new map with the augmentation of the Indies. You have not seen such a thing as tis. I can hardly forbear hurling things at him. I know my lady will strike him. If she do, he'll smile and take it for a great favor. Come, bring us. Bring us where he is. All right, everyone. And we just listened to Act 3, Scene 2, and so we're going to go over it with all the exciting bits, hopefully, and explain some things to you. We have today with us, as always, uh, I'm Rachel Onstad. I realize I don't say that enough, probably, and we have uh, John Bean and Bridget Riley Beauchamp, and we have a special guest today, Cha Ramos. Yay. Cha, would you please introduce yourself? Oh, Sure. Um, I'm Cha Ramos. I am a fight director, intimacy director, movement director, uh, as well as a performer and a dramaturg and sometimes playwright. And I am very happy to be here uh, to talk about this specific scene for reasons that will become clear to us. <laughs> awesome. And I promise I will pronounce your last name uh or correctly from now on, Ramos, Ramos, Ramos. <laughs> I mean, truly, if we're saying it, it's Ramos, but Ramos. Yeah. Oh, nice. The, the sort roll of roll that R. If only I could count on rolling my R's. Uh, so here we are in Act Three, Scene Two, and we are in Olivia's house. And uh, Andrew Aguecheek and Toby and. Fabian are having a little chat. Andrew is saying, you know what? I've spent so much money here and I really don't think that Olivia is into me. Uh, she seems to be into Count Arsino's eunuch over there. And of course, Toby freaks out a little bit because Aguecheek has been paying for all his liquor and all his fun. So then Toby sees that Aguecheek is jealous of Viola Cesario and so starts kind of winding him up as a way to pull him back in and says you know you, you need to show Olivia how manly you are you need to impress her with your valor and Heggy Cheek says are, are you sure about this oh yes yes <laughs> yes and then of course Fabian who's always in for uh, some fun goes oh yeah yeah that's what you got to do 
and uh, the scene ends with uh, Mariah coming in to uh, tell everybody what the latest is with Malvolio. And that's the end of the scene. It's a sweet, simple little scene uh, that can make almost no sense. <laughs> uh, and I suspect that a lot of people might cut it if they were pressed for time. Just because we don't understand what's at stake here for the characters. And that's why I invited Cha to be here today because she does understand exactly what's at stake for these characters. Mm -hmm. And so we will have her help figuring that out. So I, I think, uh, you know, the beginning part of this scene, uh, no faith, I'll stay, not a, I'll not stay a jot longer. Uh, thy reason, dear venom, give thy reason. So, I'm wondering, do any of you have insights why he calls him Venom? Is that just, is he being silly there? Is he, uh, is it another dick joke? Is this always my default position or? <laughs> I don't think anybody can make a dick joke about Sir Andrew. I, I think there's an, <laughs> the, the interesting thing here, I, for me, the reason this scene is so vital is because we're seeing the, the beginning of Aguchi standing up for himself, you know, for the first time, you know, oh. and we're coming in mid fire. We're getting the sense of, that there, he's been arguing with him down the hall and across the thing and through the courtyard and then no, 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 stop that we're that this is the first time that Aguchi's shown a little bit of gumption and a little bit of, of iron in him. And this mm -hmm. worries Toby, you know, like you said, Toby <laughs> is uh, about to lose his meal ticket. And so Toby does what he does best, which is he, you know, takes reality and warps it into his own needs and, and is letting him know, no, no, everything that you saw is, is exactly what you wanted to see. This is exactly how it's supposed to be going. And here's why. Because you are so brave. And, you know, in incredibly good looking. And uh, let's talk about that. You know? John, I really yeah. want to see you play Toby now. This is right? just <laughs> like too. put right? it all together so well. Like, yes, I know. But, um, and it's it, it is it's it's one of these great moments in the play where we're um, you know we from the previous note of the of, of the end of the previous scene with this uh, again this love realization you know where we're getting you know we've got Olivia kind of losing her. Uh, uh, mind calm or, yeah, well <laughs> losing her mind but yeah it's just the edges are starting to fray a little bit in the composure yeah she's losing her her shields her, yeah her shields know, are coming we're, down so yeah. we're starting yeah. to see the center not holding in everything you know <laughs> and we, we keep that momentum going into this so i i'm always a fan of, of really kind of kicking into this scene you know and it, uh the the physical thing that they're talking about you know setting up here a little bit about you know get in there and and uh, that great line that that toby has build me thy fortunes on the basis of valor you know yeah uh, let's go do this thing uh and as we're getting into the second half of action and and uh and of course even more chaos and misconstrued identities and all of that but um yeah so it, it's it's uh, it's, it's a bit of a tornado. I'm a fan of this one. Mm -hmm. Well, I can I can see that this is never a scene you're going to cut, and I'm I'm glad yes. to hear it because <laughs> honestly, I don't ever cut any scenes out of this play. Not not a single one. They're, they're all gems. Uh, but let's talk about valor and why 
why is that such a winning point that Toby makes? Cha, can you explain about valor for us? Yeah. So I think one of the fun things that's happening here is that Toby is sort of simultaneously standing up for valor and also uh, the opposite <laughs> to John's point. It's like he's constantly bending it. Um, so one of the things that's happening here is, is that there's this idea that if your honor has been besmirched, you must sort of fight back. You must, what's called giving the lie. So it's like someone's saying that, you know, you're a liar, which we'll see more as the letter actually gets produced. And you must, you know, that's when you must duel someone because you can't be called a liar. And so both Fabian and Sir Toby are sort of trying to like create a world in which Aggie Cheek's honor has been besmirched so that he must <laughs> fight back. But simultaneously, they're encouraging him to like brawl and to just like get in there and fight. And that actually the whole point of this was to just fight this guy, which is the opposite of what you're supposed to do in an honorable duel. <laughs> so, so can you, can you explain that? So in an honorable duel, are you attempting to not uh fight at all is there is that is that yes. a part of the proceedings is that uh, one of the yeah steps? so so you know rachel and i at once you're listening to this maybe there will have been or there will be an entire episode specifically on the duel but but it's fine a, if it overlaps it's okay yeah it's all right as if to people who love this version. stuff like me can't get enough of it so don't don't worry about repeating yourself it's fine yeah so the the abridged version of of what that episode is or will be um is that basically at every point in the actual dueling code, and in this play, Shakespeare is very specifically referencing uh, Vincenzo Saviolo's dueling code that would have been the first dueling code written in English by an Italian master in London. Um, so it's written in English, so it's accessible, people know it. It's sort of the like rules by which we do this. At every point in sort of the trajectory you're supposed to take, there are a million ways to get out of it. And the whole point is to sort of get out of it with no one's honor besmirched and with no blows actually thrown and with no blood shed. If you get to the point where blood is shed, even the way that's done is supposed to be very much in cold blood, sort of not hyped up, not ramped up, very like, you know, very uh, contained and calculated and precise. And so it's hilarious to me that in this scene, we're simultaneously getting, you know, this is the right way to do this. This is the honorable way to do this. You, you must stand up to this person and also get angry, get excited because those are an exact contradiction. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So if, if I can ask, so what, uh, what are, when you get to the duel, what are some of the tactics that you would uh, employ to, uh, say you did not anticipate a wonderful outcome if it actually came to to blows. What are some of the things that you might do? So, so interestingly, which is also going to become important for the characters that we're seeing in this moment, is that the biggest thing that sort of helps you when when your honor is besmirched and you're going to get to a duel or a challenge is going to be issued, as we'll see, uh, is that you have seconds, and your seconds are supposed to be the people who have your best interest at heart and are also willing to talk through the matter in a cool, calm. So know. not like a hype man today, not like the, exactly. the you know, <laughs> it's going to be a, no, you know, my boy's going to, you know. Let's get ready to rumble. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. fight, fight in the schoolyard. None of that. None of that. It's the so, opposite. You know, 
we'll see Sir Toby and Fabian become the seconds for the duel that sort of never happens. And they're the worst possible seconds. <laughs> actively trying to make this fight happen. Whereas what you want your seconds to do is sort of, you know, Rachel and I have sort of played at, like if we're the two sort of uh, principles as they're called, yeah. people who are gonna fight, our seconds might have a conversation that's like, listen, they were drunk. It was a party. Like, are like we lawyers cool? almost or something? Yes. Like, like here's the, yeah, okay. Like mediators, like truly mediators. Yeah. And if the seconds can come to a conclusion that like, yes, totally, all's good. Everyone's honor is, you know, full and fine and we're good. No fight needs to happen. But even at the fight, like once you get to the actual dueling grounds, the seconds have multiple opportunities to communicate before the fight happens in between bouts to say, are we cool yet? Can we be cool now? Oh, and great. then it can hmm. just stop and everything can just stop. And so it's like, of all people, Sir yeah. Toby is who you do right. not want to choose as your second. Yeah. You do not want Toby for your second or Fabian for that matter. Or Fabian. Or Fabian. And you can also see that Festy might be inappropriate here too for comedy purposes because he might actually take that job more seriously than Fabian and Toby would yeah. because he would be held more accountable for his actions than they would. So that, that's something I've often wondered, why isn't Festy part of that? And after starting to understand this dual process a little better, I can see why he, he wouldn't want to be in any event. And so, Cha, we had this discussion last week, and I have to tell you that your information already came in handy. Amazing. Because, you know, of course, I hang out on Shakespeare uh, forums, and every once in a while, somebody will come in there and claim that Shakespeare did not write Shakespeare's plays. And, you know, this always simultaneously, like, enrages me and amuses me because... Well, it, it's it, sort it, of the, the Trump <laughs> issue. I mean, like, I just had that intake of breath right there and i realized yeah. where have i done that before and i'm like oh that's our current political climate also it is it is I realize when someone brings up the authorship that's the thing you don't get into it is because it's it's for me it's an appropriations issue it, you know people all the arguments against shakespeare having written his own plays are class-based and so it's basically an assumption that uh, people who weren't nobles couldn't have possibly been this smart. Right. And when he accused me of lying, I said, <laughs> nice. you the lie? Hey. Are you giving me the lie? <laughs> yeah, she'll, she'll be your second. Let her, let Shaw be the second here. She's, she's got said, a good well, grip on that. I said, I, I don't that. know what the rules are for dueling in this forum, but <laughs> you know, I'll go pick my seconds and nice. you go pick yours and you get back to me. And, Nothing, nothing in response. And then as he continued in other kind of comments to kind of badger me, I'm like, oh, you're being so forward. I'm, I'm not sure anybody's going to want to be your second at this point. <laughs> you are so far in offense, sir. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, what's funny about that too, and, and we've gone into more detail with this as well, but about this scene that is so sort of upside down. There's so many things. I mean, like every, I could go line by line and tell mm. you how many times Toby is contradicting himself, but, but we'll do that. We'll do that. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> but one of the things that I find particularly funny is that 
when, you know, in Fabian's little chunk here where he's like, she did show favor to the youth in your sight only to exasperate you. The, the true way to get a duel started is that, you know, let's say I do something we, that exasperates Rachel. She says, you're a liar. Then I'm the one who, who issues the challenge. So it's not about what I said. It's not about me exasperating her. It's about her calling me a liar. So actually, whether or not Cesario is doing this on purpose to you know, piss off Aggie Cheek is actually irrelevant because if you're gonna go by the dueling code, which they're saying they're trying to do, what actually would have to happen is Aggie Cheek would have to say something like, you're a liar to Cesario, and then Cesario would issue the challenge. Lovely. Wow, that is fascinating. So for Aggie Cheek to issue a challenge, it's like truly coming out of nowhere. (laughs) It's it's a product of their their foolery. But that's really uh, kind of carried down through the generations. I mean, the classic schoolyard thing to go back to that is, are you calling me a liar? You know, yes. are, you, are you calling me a liar? That's like the classic. That's fascinating that it goes oh, all yeah. the way from, you know, Elizabethan <laughs> England to 125th Street, where, you know, I grew up. <laughs> Man. You've blown John's world. <laughs> you were you were you were operating by Saviolo's code the Look whole at time. <laughs> I always knew you were a Renaissance man, John. Oh, thank God. Because I don't know if I did too well. <laughs> Looks like you did all right. Looks like you did all right. You got married, so you ended up in a comedy and not a tragedy. So. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Let's see here. Okay. So I think we got to Valor. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. So let's see. I will prove it legitimate. Blah, 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 blah. That's, Fa- that's Fabian's golden moment. So, yeah, that Fabian. Is the greatest. It's a great little chunk of text. It's, it's so wonderful. It yeah. really is. Would you Would you read it for us, John? Oh, that's too kind. You're too, that's, it's too much of a gift. I don't deserve it, but I'll take it. Let's do it. I'm counting on you, John. Ah, She did show favor to the youth in your sight only to exasperate you, to awake your dormouse valor, that put fire in your heart and brimstone in your liver. You should have then accosted her and with some Excellent jests, fire new from the mint. You should have banged the youth into dumbness. This <laughs> was looked for at your hand, and this was balked. The double guilt of this opportunity, you let time wash off, and you are now sailed into the north of my lady's opinion, where you will hang like an icicle on a Dutchman's beard, unless you do redeem it by some laudable attempt, either of valor or policy. <laughs> I I always wonder if like Shakespeare overheard that or said that in an argument that hanging like an icicle on a Dutchman's beard is so visceral. Yeah. It's evocative. <laughs> well, and it's it's interesting here just uh, in terms of the the ball being tossed back and forth and I don't know how in league Fabian and Toby are 
not in the scenes but uh mm-hmm. fabian's really smelling what toby's cooking and the needs here and so he's like kind of setting up the volleyball spike and toby's like all right we're doing valor let's do this thing and knocks it you know and, and then they start to build this whole i love watching their own kind of lies and and weird plots they, I like the, watching them get excited about it, you know, themselves. <laughs> and, and I think you're, you're definitely right there. I think that Fabian and Toby are good friends and clearly have had practice at this kind of activity before. And they, they do talk another point about how Fabian says that he'd had a bear baiting there and so on. I just think they enjoy the same pursuits and so probably end up hanging out together quite a bit. And if you think about it, they're not competing at all for anything. They aren't sharing any of the same resources. There isn't really any question of who's higher in status here. It's obviously Toby. But Fabian is very quick on his feet. And I'm sure Toby is grateful to have somebody like Fabian around. And I'm sure Fabian appreciates having somebody of Toby Belch's status to hang out with and protect him a little bit to keep him fed and on the premises. Because honestly, it's hard to see really what Fabian is doing for Olivia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One hopes he's a good hand at the stables or something. <laughs> he seems to just be drinking all her ale. It also, it also, that makes me think, you know, you were saying that people do cut this scene, and it makes me think you really can't cut this scene because it does set up this sort of like volleyball partnership between Fabian and Sir Toby. And it's the initiation of this idea. And so you could see how actors playing this scene could sort of be like watching each other, like, Ooh, wait, we can do that. Then we can do this. Then we can do that. And if you don't have that sort of like spark that sets up what will then be the duel, Mm. which involves Antonio and Sebastian and a whole, like to miss out on this moment of these two sort of making Fabian very important to like this Mm. whole arc. I I think you miss a lot. I think you miss a lot of that relationship and a lot of the like sort of spark of, of ideas and mischief that happens between the two of them. Yeah. They're almost like the Smothers brothers or some other like comedy duo. (laughs) where you you really either one of them are funny on their own but you really need the two of them to make the magic happen yeah (laughs) i think so and it it shows too how different toby's relationship is with aggie cheek Mm -hmm. yeah who he treats with much more condescension even though they're the same class Mm -hmm. and i think you know, continues the sort of theme that Shakespeare has in an awful lot of his plays where intelligence is not determined by class. Mm. And, you know, over and over again, you see these theoretically lower class characters have the solutions, have the brains, all of that. Uh, Sometimes for good, sometimes for not so good. (laughs) So. uh, that's a role i would i'll I'll say it of of the roles here that's the role that it would be the most interesting to play just because it terrifies one i mean Mm. me uh, Mm. it terrifies me that is because it would be so easy to play him as a as a dope and and as you know and i all this but he's 
got this wonderful puppy dog naivete, you know, yeah. this like uh, big dog, little dog thing going on with Toby and then the, the stomping and this and that. And then, you know, there's, you get this wonderful sense of, uh, of, of actual affection from him for Toby. Like, you know, and then that horrible, I won't ruin it for our listeners, but <laughs> Toby, Toby's not, yeah, there we go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And we've, we, we talked earlier, uh, and I know the two the two of you didn't necessarily agree with me, but <laughs> I feel like Toby is insecure in Mariah's love for him. I think he knows that she loves him, but when Aggie Cheek starts saying that, oh, yes, she's wonderful, oh, yes, you know, I too would want her to step on my neck, um, I feel like Toby feels threatened and I realize I'm only speaking for myself here but when I but fell in love with my husband and we you know we weren't married we you couldn't even really call us dating yet I you know I had this roommate who he was not interested in at all sort of feign flirt with him I mean it was just kind of the way she was I, I don't think she was serious or anything it really upset me <laughs> <laughs> and looking back, like, I just, I think it's hilarious because obviously, like, you know, it wasn't happening. It was never going to happen. But I was just in that frame of mind where I'm realizing that I'm madly in love with somebody. And it's almost a panic state when you feel that way because you suddenly realize that you want something so very badly. And you also know, because this is how life is, that you might not get it. And so it's really easy to see threats in something that is not a threat. And so in my Twelfth Night world, uh, Toby is feeling a little threatened by Aggie Cheek and looking for a way to get rid of him without losing <laughs> the money. I see where you're going. I see where you're going. I'm... I don't know if it's like to speaking is a arrogant <laughs> barbarian myself. Uh, I don't know. He's just so willing to use him, manipulate him and, you know, kind of get everything that he can out of him. I don't know that there's not affection there when it's, uh, when it's convenient, when the party mm -hmm. is over for the evening and the moon is out right. and we're decrescendoing from the latest drunk, you know, mm -hmm. that there might be uh Gosh, you know, life is wonderful, you know, that moment. Sure. But, um, although I admire because everything, I, you know, it's Shakespeare is what we bring to it for the most part. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think it's interesting what you're saying. Mm -hmm. uh, well, yeah, for me, you guys. And I right. think some, something that I see, you know, and you see it in this scene, right? And I, I don't remember where I read this or heard this, but I remember talking about this play and the possibility that Ague Cheek is a bot knight and Toby is a born into it knight. Mm. And so Aggie Cheek is technically of a lower status than Toby, but because he has more money, right? So that maybe there's some resentment with that. But in this scene, you know, as in, as in everyone that they're in, Toby is theeing and thouing Aggie Cheek and Aggie Cheek is ewing Toby. So, yeah. you know, Aggie Cheek has a lot of respect for Toby and Toby is being very casual with Aggie Cheek. And it could be because there's a status difference, right? Like a, a born knight versus a bought knight is a different status if that is true of these two. But there's a little bit of, there's a, there's a poking there 
that is is fun for me in this scene because Fabian is also ewing both of them, right? Because Fabian is also of a lower status. But the mm -hmm. only person using thee and thou, the like, you know, casual form of you is mm -hmm. Toby. And it feels a little gross. And I like kind of <laughs> love that. Yeah. You know, it feels a little icky. Well, they talk about it. You know, they talk about it. If thou dowest him some thrice, he's yep. perfectly aware. He's he's talking about the merits of that as a weapon right there. And he's doing it. He's the one he's saying doing thou it. dowest him and I'm thouing you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. Uh, Cha, would you look at... Uh, Toby Belch's line, why then build me thy fortunes? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Would you read that line for us? The line or the whole little section? The, the, the whole little section there. So Toby says, why then build me thy fortunes upon the basis of valor? Challenge me, the Count's youth, to fight with him. Hurt him in eleven places. My niece shall take note of it. And assure thyself there is no love broker in the world can more prevail in man's commendation with woman than report of valor. Oh, right. Would you break that down for us, please? <laughs> yes. Uh, so one of the things that's interesting about how valor is being used here is that it's sort of standing in for like metal or um, manliness rather than honor, mm. right? So... It, it can mean honor, but here Toby's really using it as how manly are you, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is why specifically, so is he saying challenge the youth to fight with him? He's saying, I want to get to blows, right? It's not about challenging so that I can redeem my honor. It's like, let's get to blows. He's saying hurt him in 11 places. Which yeah, is, what's that? What's, what's the yeah. 11 places? It's an absurd number. So Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the idea is that when you're at, if you actually get to the point where you're actually fighting a duel, like a true honorable men's quarrel, anytime there's so much as a touch, right? You know, think Hamlet, a touch, a touch, I do confess it, right? Like a touch, everyone breaks, each side has their own doctor, their doctors check them, the seconds come together and they say, are we cool? Are we cool yet? And they might say, no, we're not cool. And they go again. But to hurt him in 11 places is an absurd, that's an absurd thing to ask of a duel. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so what he's really saying is like, I, you know, you got to brawl this guy. You got to fight this guy, you know? So, so it's the, the one part that I actually don't know is my niece shall take note of it. I have no idea what that is what that means or what that's referencing um well, I, i'm i'm assuming that it means that oh Olivia she'll, know, she'll be so impressed yeah. yes with your manliness and, by beating yeah. the crap out of this guy because yeah. aggie cheeks just so like he well if he thinks for his own reason but he's he's you know he's wooing olivia so it's really about her just noticing and and like Take, you know yeah. being just swept like, away by his manliness. It. She'll see it. So oh my god, he's so be so mm -hmm. uh, he's so mm -hmm. manly. But also and you know, and that's the thing, right? Is nothing can prevail in man's commendation with women than a report of valor. Which again, if it's that word valor being used in two ways. So actually what would commend a woman like Olivia would be honor, would be the, the version of valor that is 
doing this by the book, you know, as a high class woman doing it by the book would be, you know, cause, cause we talked about this a little bit, Rachel, but the, the sort of fight between the London masters and the Italian masters was the London masters were much more down to brawl, which you see in <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, that sort of Capulet Montague disparity. And the Italian masters were all about the, you know, the precision around the actual fight. Uh, and so the higher class people tended to prefer the Italian masters. It was foreign, it was exciting. It was, so someone like Olivia, more than likely what would be a commendation to her would be if you actually did fight by the book. Mm -hmm. But Toby's saying, no, what she's gonna love is if you hit him 11 times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. You don't think that's true? No. Well, no. For me, it's always struck me of the, like the, uh, you know, when you see the, I mean, I don't know what this is, but you know, when you see the, um, the dueling movies, your Zoros, your whatever, and there's the, the thrust, and they're always to specific places, mm -hmm. right? Here, here, there's like specific, I don't know, is there like 11 of those? For the uh, you know, for the listener, uh, John was madly uh, gesticulating and yeah, pointing at I mean, parts I, of his body I, to I show where you could get hit by, <laughs> by Well, if you think about the princess, right, right? You get you know, the shoulder. Mm -hmm. That's a classic one. And I, I remember something about, like, the shoulder, the leg, the leg, the yeah. shoulder, the shoulder, the arm, the arm. And I'm wondering, is there some kind of number game in there? Like, is there 10 and he's saying 11? you know, well, to make it extra or... It's interesting because it definitely, you know, for a person like me who has fight training, 11 is an absurd number gotcha. because of the duel. <laughs> but thinking about that, yeah, targets on the body, there are only so many targets. And even mm -hmm. parries, there are fundamentally eight parries or that's how, mm -hmm. you know, that's how you're sort of taught. But even some of those parries double up on targets. So what I mean by that is if you're targeting my right shoulder, I can parry that with, is that, I'm trying to remember now, with a yep. three, what's a yep. parry three, totally. or mm -hmm. I can parry it a parry six, which is just parry three is with my sort of palm facing the ground and parry six is with my palm facing up. Mm -hmm. So even though there are eight parries, there are really like five to six true targets. Yeah. So even that, like eight parries of five to six crazy. targets, 11 is absurd. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so might as well be 70. referencing that. <laughs> yeah. Very possible. Very possible. Chuck. No, that sounds like a Toby. I think you're, that sounds like a Toby thing. Chuck, <laughs> can I, can I ask real quick? My, um, three of my four children fence. And I know that with the different blades, with the different weapons, there's different target areas. So yeah. was this is a sort of thing where, you know, obviously it's not going to be saber fencing since that's based on on cav cavalry, caval cavalry, I always say the wrong one, cavalry fencing or uh, cavalry warfare. But is it like, was there a, a difference between like epe versus foil style again coming from a, a fencing perspective of you know there's different tar different parts of your body or target depending on your weapon yeah so what's interesting and this is where it gets very like meta mm. is that likely the actors in elizabethan on you know the globe are mm. using foils mm -hmm. but what they're approximating is a foil is a very thin blade mm -hmm. you know usually a thrusting weapon Mm -hmm. But what they're approximating is an Italian rapier with, mm -hmm. with given the way they're talking about it, which mm -hmm. is a wider blade. 
and sort of is a thrusting, but also a cutting weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there, there definitely would be distinctions in terms of really how you were trained. I think ultimately something that I talk about a lot with fight direction in general, when I do it is anything is a weapon. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, pick up your chapstick and start to wave it around and think about how you might use it to trap someone or hit someone or poke someone, mm-hmm. once you hold a, a, a thing in your hand and think of it that way, you're going to think of ways to use it. And I'm going to think of ways to defend with it. Mm-hmm. And so all of these different masters are just teaching different ways. The weapon itself is going to have some affordances to doing certain things, but really every master is going to have their way of dealing with each individual sort of bladed weapon. Mm-hmm. But definitely what they're talking about here is an Italian rapier, given the fact that they're almost verbatim quoting Saviolo, Mm -hmm. um, which is going to be, it's going to have some fancy things to it, which is also why I wonder if 11 places, a lot of what Toby is saying is almost like the guy who's giving you the spark notes of the book. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't actually know what he's talking about, but he's like quoting little bits. Malaprops, yeah. Like, yeah. uh, I wonder if Eleven Places is also trying to be like, ah, these Italians have like eleven things that they do. There's so many. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, definitely different styles of of attacking and pairing with these Mm. with these weapons that that comes into play. I think in a comedic way here, Mm -hmm. in terms Mm -hmm. of like everything that's possible, you Mm -hmm. should do this, Cesario. (laughs) And I think there is something about the number eleven which is one more than fingers than we have, you know, 10 based a lot of the time. And, you know, if any of you have seen the movie Spinal Tap and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the, um, and I, I, forgive me, I think he's the bass player, but he he asks for a monitor uh, and he asks for a volume that goes all the way up to 11. And, even the I'm interviewer the, out there, if you haven't seen Spinal Tap, you don't get to listen to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Just kind of like watch the damn thing and come back because uh, it is it's it's so good. It makes me want to just go watch it now. But anyway, um, so he asks for a monitor, and so he asks for it to go up to 11. And the confused interviewer says, well, but is it really any louder? And he says, well, no, but it it goes up to 11. So (laughs) I feel this is kind of that same idea that 11 is a number that's just like off the charts. And so people in Shakespeare's time would have gotten that joke the same way that we do when we watch Spinal Tap, probably. Okay, Uh, let's see. So then uh, Fabian chimes in, helpful as always. There is no way but this, Sir Andrew. (laughs) Totally, that's what the women like. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. Um, And then Aggie Cheek is like, all right, sure. Will either of you bear me a challenge to him? Now, can you explain to us what a challenge would have been? Yeah, so a challenge is usually a written thing. Um, You could also challenge someone in the moment of like, you know, me offending Rachel, Rachel saying thou liest, I say you are hereby challenged to a duel um, for calling me a liar. But there would still usually be a written component. And once the offense is made and the lie is, you know, called, uh, we now as principals are supposed to have no more communication with each other until the moment of the duel. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So basically what Andrew is asking. Oh, that's is, fun. That's very interesting. Yeah. So it's he's like saying, the wedding. It's like, a, yes. it's like the, the first wow. look. Yeah. So, so what Aggie Cheek is saying here is, okay, well, if we're going to do this, I can't bring him the challenge. One of, I need a second is basically mm -hmm. what he's saying, which will one of you bear the challenge. So I'm going to write it. Will one of you basically act as my second and bring the challenge letter to my adversary? Uh, Bridget, would you read Toby's next line for me, please? Oops, wrong page. Go, write it in a martial hand. Be cursed and brief. It is no matter how witty, so it be eloquent and full of invention. Taunt him with a license of ink. If thou doust him some thrice, it shall not be amiss, and as many lies as will lie in thy sheet of paper, although the sheet were big enough for the bed of where in England set him down. Go about yeah. it. Let there be gall enough in thy ink, though thou write with a goose pen. No matter. About it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, Cha, tell us, tell Set us. Down. Oh, it's so great because so so and I don't have it in front of me and now I wish I did, but the the you like the idea of it being first of all cursed is definitely curt, but cursed, mm -hmm. and he's doing that on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So he's saying like make it ill-tempered when you're really not supposed to you're supposed to make it brief and like mm -hmm. so he's sort of contra contradicting himself there no matter how witty so it be eloquent which is also a contradiction <laughs> but <laughs> what what would have been what is in the saviolos you know on gentlemen's and gentlemen's quarrels or an honor an honor and honorable quarrels something like that what's actually written there is the challenge should be short <laughs> yeah and it should it should be very brief and it should be written like in a good hand and clear <laughs> and basically what toby is saying is yeah, make right. it ill-tempered yeah make it flowery taunt him as many times as you possibly can throw a bunch of lies in there which is as like as many as you can possibly stuff in there <laughs> he's he's exp he's making it huge and overwrought and it like it's just amazing to me while also saying be brief and be eloquent, <laughs> which is what he should be doing. So it's, mm -hmm. he's saying both the whole time, but you, you realize in this moment, which is why, you know, later when we actually see the letter or hear the letter, we're, we're getting, we're getting sort of the setup of the joke here is that this is going to be a ridiculous letter mm -hmm. <laughs> and it proves true later, but this is going to be a ridiculous letter. Um, you know, and then, and then of course, Though thou write with a goose pen, I, I see that as a dick joke, right? Like, I, sure. I think <laughs> we're going to talk a lot about Aggie Cheek's ability to wield a sword. I think his ability mm -hmm. to wield a pen is similar. Uh, well, they are from the same root. Yes. Pen and penis, uh, which is why when people used to say the pen is mightier than the sword, it is a double entendre. Um, we love it. We love to I hear have it. A, I have a couple of... Uh, of notes in terms of the bed of Ware of England was a famous bed. It was the biggest bed in England. And I'm sorry, I don't have the notes handy. I should, but it was basically famous and thought of as 
like it's almost a tourist attraction. Like everybody would come to see this bed of ware because it was so huge. And beds were a huge investment in Elizabethan England. And the bigger a bed you had, obviously the wealthier that you were. And you would keep your best bed for visiting nobility or whatever. And your second best bed was your your spousal bed, bed. which is why Shakespeare leaves the second best bed to his wife. He wants to make sure (sighs) that she has their bed that they shared their lives together in. It's, It's really a very romantic thing to do and to remember. And anybody who thinks that he was slighting her somehow by not giving her the best bed uh, doesn't understand Elizabethan England. And then this I mean, comment, he could have upgraded her. What's I mean, that? He might have got arrested or something. But you know, he's dying thought too. He's like, no, don't use the good bed. I'm with you, though. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can I just share something? I, I completely you can erase this. I'm so sorry to derail. <laughs> sure, go ahead. Too late, right? That <laughs> is a cat. I'm just realizing that is a cat. There's some kind of sound coming from over that's been terrifying me for a minute. This is a cat. In, I can't in hear it. I can't. Yeah, hear I haven't it. heard it. it. Right there. <laughs> Under that, the cover. That moving thing. You see that? Do you see that? That is a cat. I almost just screamed and ran out of here a minute ago. So. That. Oh, okay, I'm so sorry. The whole cat. Oh, oh boy. Cat. Oh boy. Oh, oh, so leave the leave the kitty. Leave the. It's, yeah, these are horrible. They're, he's all right. Yeah. He's all right. We'll let him. Yeah. He Anyways, wants to I'm be so there. sorry, Dave. <laughs> so, no, I was I was having a personal moment. Thank there. you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, there's a, another thing here where he says, "Let there be gall enough in thy ink," and ink was made from oak galls, but. Gall also has the double meaning of being liver gall, liver bile. So let there be enough bitterness in it. But it's it's clever because he is talking about ink. And certainly oak galls were bitter. So here we have the kind of synesthetic, multi-layered puns that I absolutely adore in Shakespeare. Though thou write with a goose pen. So even though you're putting all this intense bitter power into your goose pen. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of like lily-livered and yet full of, you know, viscera. Yeah. Although geese are not to be fucked with, let me tell you people, and anyone who's ever encountered a living goose knows this to be true. Yeah, totally, man. But there is a another layer to hear, definitely a dick joke here, and where he's saying you know, even if you are as likely to make love to this gorgeous young person as you would to fight them, um, no matter, you know, what we're doing here is fighting. And then Aggie Chiku, I'm sure, you know, most of this is just washed over him. And to be fair, it it could have washed over me in his situation. Like, you know, he's in love, he's confused. Toby keeps him drunk all the time. 
all of a sudden he's in the middle of a fight. He's not a fighter. He knows he's he's not a fighter. But no, it's a sad part. It doesn't really come up here yet. You know what I mean? Like, say, like <laughs> they're really setting him up, the poor guy here. They really are, and which is why I feel like Toby is looking for a way to get rid of him. He knows that Olivia won't want Aggie Cheek after this. Like, if we had any question about whether or not Toby was sincere in wanting uh, Aggie Cheek to be his uncle, or sorry, his nephew, it's confusing. Anyway, for <laughs> if we had any question whether or not he really wanted Aggie Cheek to marry Olivia, it's clear right now that he doesn't, that he has. That's actually a, mo a more, much more compelling argument for me about the, yeah, the hatred, or not the hatred, but yeah. And wanting to get rid of Aggie Cheek. Some amount of resentment, yeah. Because mm -hmm. I would have thought his appetite would have been endless, you know, but, and he constantly would have it filled, but that's an excellent, excellent point. <laughs> well, and to look at what happens in their relationship and with Mariah, too, if Aggie Cheek marries Olivia. At that point, then, Mariah is his servant. And, you know, we know we know that lady servants were often expected to perform in a sexual capacity. This would not have been even commented on because it was just sort of assumed. So all of a sudden, Aggie Cheek would have access to both Olivia and Mariah. Toby can't have that. And so here he is looking for ways to simultaneously get Aggie Cheek out of the picture there may be a little bit and this is totally my my projection well actually this is totally my conjecture here that there's a little bit of a contest here between toby and mariah as to who can fuck things up more who can be the bigger prankster here and at this point it's kind of a toss-up if toby pulls this off you know well, I think for me that that's kind of what um, what becomes so important about this moment. And I think Bridget, you read it beautifully. <laughs> is that you. I think what what feels important here to me is that this be really fun for Toby, and that he's really gassing up Aggie Cheek, mm -hmm. so that I would want to see that when you know Aggie Cheek's response, well, where shall I find you? Like he's ready to go. He's excited yeah. to write this letter. We're gonna do this. I'm gonna be a man. Yeah. Like that it's really yeah. that we sort of like are gassing him up this whole scene. So that he like dashes out to yeah. go write this letter and that he only realizes that he has no idea what to write when he's like at his writing desk, right? <laughs> because everything Toby has given him has been a contradiction, but he's done it with such, you know, liver, right? <laughs> that it's like, oh yeah, of course I'll go write the letter. Hell yeah, let's go. Like that there's such, there's such a sort of devilish joy in what's happening in this moment mm -hmm. so that you know when Aggie Cheek does sort of like exit there's like a high five between Toby and Fabian of just like mm -hmm. this is gonna be this letter is gonna be hysterical right like they they're already like they know the letter is gonna be hilarious and you're not gonna deliver it right like it's it's it, that's already happening and so I think mm -hmm. for me you know, I love the idea that there's there's more layers to this, that there is a sort of like get rid of Aggie cheek, that there's maybe there's a status thing, but that ultimately what it feels like in this scene is just mm -hmm. great fun and mm -hmm. like 
and the prankster, right? The prankster mm -hmm. part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely fall more in your camp, Cha. This is one of those agree to disagree moments for me and Rachel is that I, I see Toby as, you know, he's a, he is a prankster. He's a trickster. He's that classic archetype that is in every culture's um, literature, whether it's spoken or written from the beginning of time. Um, I have a very dear friend who often says um, the thing you have to remember about Shakespeare is Stanislavski wasn't invented yet. Um, <laughs> so you have to be careful about putting too many layers onto a thing. And I honestly, for me personally, Toby just wants to fuck things up. Like, that's what he wants to do. <laughs> and, well, and I don't and see is, a the vehicle to hand. I don't see a conflict. You know, <laughs> I, I, I have seen plenty of manipulative people with intentions also be complete pranksters and total tricksters and sometimes undercut themselves sometimes sabotage themselves because their love of being a prankster is greater than their motivations in the long term at that moment that often you know heck i know that gets to me so um, okay so let's see here. Oh, Fabian says this is a dear mannequin to use, Sir Toby. And mannequin is another word for puppet or doll. And so he's saying, man, Aggie Cheek will just do whatever you want. And Toby says, I have been dear to him, meaning that he's cost him a lot of money, some 2,000 strong or so. He gives us a, a figure. Fabian says we shall have a rare letter from him, and in this point, rare not meaning like valuable, as in meaning like ridiculous. Um, and but you won't deliver it, will you? Okay. And let's see. I it never trust me. Then I feel like um, you know this next line that he gives. It's pretty straightforward. He's saying. You know, they, they, I think Oxen and Wainwrights cannot hail them together. Like, he doesn't even know how he's going to get them in the same room to fight, is what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then he points out, for Andrew, if he were opened and you find so much blood in his liver as will clog the foot of a flea. I'm going to say that again. Mm -hmm. If he were opened and you find so much blood in his liver as will clog the foot of a flea. I'll eat the rest of the anatomy. So, you know, he, he's a coward. <laughs> you know, clearly he doesn't, he's not sure that this is going to happen. And so, again, you know, like we don't know what Toby's intentions are here. Are they just to cause a lot of trouble, a lot of bother? Does he feel safe provoking them because he assumes they're never, ever going to fight? <laughs> or does he just not care? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you can play Toby any of those ways. You can direct Toby any of those ways. He can be as complicated or as simple as serves your production, which is the thing that we all agree on for sure. <laughs> But I do think it's valuable to to consider all these possibilities. Okay. And I would I would add that in this moment, I think we're getting a little bit of a of a realization that 
for for Toby, it's less about what Aggie Cheek actually does and more about doing whatever he can to get them to this dueling field. Because later we're going to see that he he reads the letter, does not deliver it, gives his own insults, right? That like, <laughs> that he, you know, in this moment, he and Fabian are saying, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what this guy writes. But mm-hmm. my guess is it's going to be nothing because he has less blood in his liver than mm-hmm. a flea could, you know, eat. So, you know, we'll, we'll play it by ear. And I love that Fabian's response is that Cesario, you know, bears in his visage, no great precision of cruelty or, because he's saying like, he doesn't seem like he's yeah. all that down to fight either. <laughs> right. So this is going to be tough. Like to try to actually get them to a dueling field yeah. <laughs> is going to be tough. And so I think it's like sort of setting us up for the like amount of work they're going to have to put in. <laughs> to get these two to actually meet you know the tough prank to pull well, alone that, actually take the swords a, in hand a tough yeah. prank and then toby belch says look where the youngest wren of nine comes and that's another kind of affectionate dig at uh, mariah's lack of height she's supposed to be short and we can assume that there was at least one rather diminutive member of Shakespeare's troupe because there's always one character that is short and gets a lot of short jokes. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot more of them of uh, Hermia in Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay, and then uh, Mariah comes in and let's see uh bridget i'm gonna let you read that line Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you desire the spleen and will laugh yourselves into stitches follow me yond gold malvolio is turned heathen a very renegado for there is no christian that meant to be means to be saved by believing rightly can ever believe such impossible passages of grossness He's in yellow stockings. Uh, okay. And let's see, John, will you give me the and cross-guarded and I'll cut my little blah, blah, blah out in the middle? And cross-guarded. Well, stop, stop, honey, stop. <laughs> there was a, a little uh, uh, clippage there. Let's... <laughs> Sorry, didn't work. Yeah, try it again with a, a slightly less loud, darling. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I do the park stuff a lot. So. I know, I know you do. <laughs> and then, uh, Bridget, if you'll just, if you two will just continue the rest of the scene. In fact, okay. Bridget, okay. would you start from the top? Absolutely. Thank you, dear. If you desire the spleen and will laugh yourselves into stitches, follow me. Yond Gull Malvolio is turned heathen, a very renegato. For there is no Christian that means to be saved by believing rightly can ever believe such impossible passages of grossness. He's in yellow stockings. And cross-guarded. Most villainously, like a pedant that keeps a school in the church. I have dogged him like, um, like his murderer. He does obey every point of the letter that I dropped to betray him. He does smile his face into more lines than is in the new map with the yes. of the Indies. 
you have not seen such a thing as tis. I can hardly forbear hurling things at him. I know my lady will strike him. If she do, he'll smile and take for a great favor. Come, come, bring us, bring us where he is. Come. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the pranksters unite. Oh, yes. yes. And you can see why they're meant to be together. <laughs> so uh, Maria says, if you de desire the spleen. So uh, spleen was, believe it or not, the seat of humor and will laugh yourself into stitches. And, you know, that's like a stitch in your side, but also uh, you might need stitches of your clothing. You were laughing so hard. Follow me, yond goal. A goal is somebody that you're fooling. Malvolio is turned heathen. Oh my gosh, this is huge. She's basically saying that he has lost his soul and is probably on the verge of madness if he's not mad already. A very renegado, as we would say, a, a very regressive. He's regressed for there is no Christian, oof, that means to be saved by believing rightly can ever believe such impossible passages of grossness. So she's saying he clearly can't be a good Christian because he is willing to believe that Olivia wants him to do those things and is willing to believe that Olivia loves him. And that if she loved him, would ask him to do these things that make him look so terrible. You know, imagine if you got a note from your crush saying, I, I really, gosh, I'm really in love with this person whose name starts with J and ends with N. And if he would only, <laughs> you know, go into the middle of the street wearing a, a tutu, uh, then my heart would be one forever like and then you did it you know why would you believe that why would anybody believe that and so she's making it really clear to the audience which would have understood this already that that this is a ridiculous thing that he's doing that he's clearly out of his mind to believe that this is going to win olivia over and then Sir Toby is like, and cross-guarded. This was an ancient fashion, would not have been, uh, you know, considered attractive at the time. And Mariah says, most villainously, wow. Like I've never described a poor fashion choice as villainous. But <laughs> she's making it clear that he is willing to do this in order to perpetuate this evil thing that he wants, which is to uh, go past his rank and in to whatever degree you feel like that is an offense to his employer to do these things like a pedant that keeps a school in the church. Well, that's <laughs> kind of an obscure dig, but basically, you know, he's saying that uh, somebody who may be learned but isn't necessarily holy, and they're just kind of exploiting the local church in order to uh, 
talk about themselves, make themselves sound important, which is supposed to be the opposite of the reason you go to church, which is where you're supposed to humiliate yourself and have faith in God and do God's will, whatever the heck you think that probably is. And then she says she has dogged him, you know, dogs, they, they're hunt like his murderer. Okay. This is, she's serious about this. You know, she's saying it in a joking tone, but she's not really joking. She doesn't have any good feelings towards Malvolio. She'd like to get rid of him. And he does obey every point of the letter that I dropped to betray him. He is such a fool. He believed every, he's picking up everything I put down. And then the rest of this is just beautiful language that he does yeah, smile. Really kind of, yeah, sorry, go ahead. It's okay. He does smile his face into more lines than is in the new map with the augmentation of the Indies. So now this refers to a giant map that had been started and it took them like 17 years to finish it where they took all the information from all the recent advances that had been made in exploration and navigation and were incorporating it into this huge map for Elizabeth, which I think may not have been finished until after she had passed or, you know, she was very elderly. And so this is kind of a hip reference to this map that was the talk of the is now too. I'm, I mean, not even, not even just the, 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 you know, what you're saying about the map itself and the Indies uh, mm -hmm. and that map and those lines of that time. But this feels like a modern thing. Like I could see this on mm -hmm. a, in a meme or in like, a, you know, <laughs> this makes me think Maria's just totally cool and someone I want to hang out with. Her whole thing here where she's just like, dude, she's got more lines than a freaking, you know, the map with all those freaking lines. Yes. And then this mm -hmm. next bit about like, it makes me want to throw things in his head. <laughs> like, I just want to smack him with a spoon. Or so, I don't know, but she just seemed very real here out of all of them. You know, we're kind of like coalescing these vapors of, of you know, like uh, these plots and grandiosity and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, she, she just, this is one of her best moments for me, I think. I agree. I feel like she really brings it home here. And it's a line that comes up in my mind whenever I see a politician hmm. smiling a really fake smile. Mm -hmm. And I, too, want to throw things at the screen or whatever I'm looking at. Like, I I really feel with her. I also then, think there's, there's something interesting, just to go back a second, to, to like his murderer. I think what's interesting about this whole scene is that, like, it's this great jest. It's this good fun. It's this prankster vibe. But what we're actually pranking about is some sinister stuff. Like, mm -hmm. the fact that she would make an allusion to... To basically stalking him like a serial killer <laughs> uh and also we've just seen this whole like setup to try to get aggie cheek to fight with swords which even if you don't you know fight to the death is potentially fatal like they're joking about some like potentially really sinister stuff yeah, yeah. So, some legal repercussions at the very least are coming you know yeah, like it's you, like it's like when you say like ah, i want to kill him like we say that yeah. all the time but if you really think about that like ooh, ooh, <laughs> getting hairy yeah it is and this is where i i get really interested in that divide between that kind of jocular tone and what the actual consequences are 
if they're successful, when they're successful. And while I think that certainly, you know, somebody who TPs your house or you come to your work cubicle and it's been completely wrapped in a cardboard box, like those kinds of things are very low stake pranks. And you are at that point just punching sideways or possibly punching up if you're brave enough, you know, like if you prank your parents, something fairly minor. But Toby and Mariah are playing for keeps here. And so that's why I'm wondering what other motivations might there be other than just boredom in the winter, it's 12th <laughs> night, you know, we're going to fuck around and find out. Like if, if Malvolio leaves, if Malvolio is indeed driven mad, or if his madness is revealed, that's a good thing for Mariah. That's no longer a prank. That is a strategy. If Toby gets rid of Aggie Cheek, either by discrediting him or by having him get killed, that that's a strategy at that point. And I, I found it difficult when I was directing to just keep it on that kind of surface level because I was trying to understand that here's these characters who they're very bright, they clearly understand the ramifications of their actions. Why would they be so heartless? You know, why would they not care what happens to Aggie Cheek or what happens to Malvolio if they don't have some sort of other motivations going on? All that said, uh, you know, Twelfth Night, who is your audience? Who are you playing to? If you are playing to, you know, let's say uh, high school students or, you know, you're doing some wonderful production in the park and everything is fast paced and, you know, we don't have time to, <laughs> to you know, talk for an hour in a podcast about what each line means, then... Mm -hmm you've got to go for quick, fast on your feet, uh, simple, open motivations. And for a lot of people to get enjoyment out of this play, they don't need to be thinking about necessarily what do Mariah and Toby have to win in that situation. On the other hand, if you're an actor or a lit student or uh, anyone who's really trying to understand the history and the context, then this is just a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, so I feel like we have done Act 3, Scene 2. <laughs> uh, does anybody want to add anything to this? I wanted to just mention that, you know, in this conversation about, like, how, how deep does this prank go? Something I was thinking about, too, was if what Toby really wants to do is humiliate Aggie Cheek so that mm -hmm. Olivia could never even consider marrying him, but in such a way that Aggie Cheek still feels honorable and like he did the right thing, then he could keep him around for the money and the mm -hmm. hang and not have to worry about him marrying his niece. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I think that allowing yourself to think about what the motivations could be maybe it's also a way to find that happy medium where it's like, he doesn't want him dead, mm -hmm. but it's also not just like, you know, toilet paper. It's let me see if I can humiliate the, this guy just enough 
that like I don't have to worry about him marrying my niece, but I can still keep him around and we can drink and he can like pay my tab. Like But I but he's all <laughs> you know I and I and I get that. And if Aggie Cheek had not said at the beginning of the scene, if I don't get your niece, I'm not gonna have any money left. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if Toby is looking at the bottle of Aggie Cheek and seeing there's just a little bit left in the bottom and he's just gonna drink that up before he has to throw the bottle away. That's my feeling about it. <laughs> if I if I could piggyback on this too, I think one of yeah. the uh, you know, <clears throat> pardon me, and uh, as an actor and director, etc., uh, this is what we do: is we dig in and we, <clears throat> pardon me, try to discover you know uh, these uh, these depths, and and a lot of times also you know, uh, much to our own chagrin, convoluting something that is already complex enough on its surface, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These are the problems. But um, here, specifically, the um, for me, part of the the that the thread of of melancholy in Twelfth Night, um, even though it's it is a, a a celebration play, a festival play, a marriage comedy, you know, et cetera, um, uh, that thread of melancholy that pervades it, that that kind of echoes at, as we end with that song at the end. Um, it has to do with something here too, with this idea of you know our intentions. We can we can you know uh, go ad nauseum about what they are, but just as in life, you know, um, we don't always act on our own behalf or on our own uh, 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 will. You know, we we can plot everything um, that we want, or we can think that something's going to have this effect, or we can imagine it, you know, but I think part of the charm and the need for this play is that there's an aggregate that happens with or without us that kind of messily sums up the things that we're about and the energies that we put out and, and results in things that we might not have necessarily wanted to have happen that may be a little more tragic or maybe a little harsher in, in, you know, for instance, the case of Malvolio, then, uh, you know, we had at first imagined um, and that we may have been swept up in the moment just like we are in real life and that all of these tiny little human moments um, can have just such great resounding effects even you know when we uh, intended them as a prank you know mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. yep stuff can get out of hand <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yep i remember sure you know like on that note when i was a kid now this isn't for the podcast but i've never <laughs> forgotten uh <clears throat> my mother uh, was we were outside it was a summer day and um uh I, there was a hose we, she was hosing it, you know it was a hose fight back and forth we were keeping warm and i got the hose uh, yes. at one point and um i was very young i think it was six seven or maybe eight tops and i remember grabbing it and she still had it and i remember wrenching it and i put everything i had into wrenching it back and forth so i would get it and i got it and I remember being so proud and so happy in that moment um, and looked to her uh, for, and she was hurt. I had somehow hurt her getting it and she chastised me for, it. and I've, I've never forgot the shame that I felt in that moment. And I've never, you know, for, and just, I think part of the opposite of my intentions, you know, I, I think part of that, that expectation versus reality thing, that chord um, has always struck with me that little echo and there's something about that in this you know in this kind of a thing here even if it's you know if we're just having a wrestling match you know about like the hose you know <laughs> like uh 
I mean, I'm going to be 45 years old and just thinking, oh my God, I hurt my mom. You know, <laughs> like, you know, you know, and the same thing here, Toby even says, you know, later as he goes, you know, I think they've had enough. I think this has gone on farther than I intended, you know, but mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So let's see, let me, where are we? We're still at act three, scene two. Dose. Okay. All right. I think we've wrapped up act three, scene two pretty well. In act three, scene three, we go back to the beach with Sebastian and Antonio and have a little bit of uh, conversation between them. <laughs> 